morning. All right. It's good to be with you guys. If this is your first time here, my name is Garrison, and I am uh, I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Veritas Dayton. Um, just a little announcement. Um, as a church, uh, this last Sunday at our covenant members meeting, this last Sunday evening, we voted an affirmation of and to install two new elders, uh, two new pastors, two new elders within our church. Uh, as a church, we believe that that a rightly ordered church uh, is going to have a plurality of pastors, a plurality of, of what we call elders, leadership, uh, to um, lead the church and feed the church and pastor the church and oversee the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. And so we give thanks to God for uh, this office of elder and the two men that God has placed, uh, the, there's three of us, but the two new men that God has placed in this um, office within our particular church, J.J. Krumloff um, and Dan Turner as well. And so some of you guys know, you, you should know Dan and, and J.J. if you've been around for any amount of time. Even if you don't know them, you've probably seen them up here on Sunday mornings preaching or leading or doing announcements or doing something of the sort. Um, and uh, they will be doing so more and more uh, together. Uh, we are going to, as the Spirit enables us, uh, lead and shepherd and care for the people of Veritas uh, as best we are able. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles with me to Acts 2, 41 to 47, this is our sixth and final Sunday in the sermon series called Devoted, where we're looking particularly at Acts 2, 41 and 42. Uh, next week, we'll start uh, a sermon series um, on what's called the five solas, uh, the, the five sort of um, doctrinal statements of the Protestant Reformation, that we, uh, that Scripture alone is our final authority, and that uh, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Uh, all of those alones represent what we call uh, these, these five solas, the doctrinal statements that we believe in as uh, Protestant Reformed Christians. Um, and so we're going to take five weeks to look at those solas and, and explain those uh, in greater depth and, and, and width. And, and so please uh, join us for that as we dig into God's Word um, surrounding these and what God's Word has to say surrounding these doctrines. Um, but for now, we'll, look at, we'll finish up this sermon series, Devoted. We're looking at Acts 2.41 and 42. If you don't have a Bible, there should be white paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. You can grab one of those and turn to page 500. And 31, and you'll find there Acts 2, look for verses 41 to 47. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, take that one home. That's our gift to you. So this morning we have a lot of ground to cover. Let's dig in to Acts 2, 41. We'll read in through uh, verse 47. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, let's listen with reverence, let's listen with joy. Let's listen with gratitude because this is God speaking to us and we, want, and we want to hear with thanksgiving and with awe. Hear the word of the Lord. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the example of this church that we read about in Acts 2, for uh, the simplicity and singularity of their devotion, of the uh, sacrificial nature of their devotion. Lord, and, and we ask that as we close this series, looking at the prayers what it means to be devoted to the prayers that you would make us a people like them, sacrificial in our devotion. Lord, um, overwhelmed with affection for you, seeking you, desiring you, longing to know you more and more and to be known by you more and more. Lord, we know that that you are inexhaustible and infinite and incomprehensible. Lord, and, and that we'll never fully know you. But we thank you that, that we can know you truly. And that you've revealed yourself to us in your word so that we can know you truly. And so now as we come to your word, would you create such hunger in our hearts? Would you create such thirst in us? Help us to to thirst after you. And we ask that, that as you create that hunger and that thirst within us, Lord, that you would satisfy it now with your word and at your table. Lord, we we need you. Would you sanctify us in your truth? Your word is truth. And so would you make that truth powerful and piercing this morning? We need you. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Uh, Justin Martyr was a minister uh, early on in in church history. He was born in in 100 AD, and he died just 65 years later when he was was martyred, hence why his name is Justin Martyr. And uh, what he's best known for to this day is that he was what we call uh, an apologist uh, for the Christian faith. Um, And that doesn't mean that he said sorry for the Christian faith a lot. That's not what that means. Um, An apologist is someone who defends the doctrines of the Christian faith. And so he wrote several apologies, several defenses uh, for the claims of Christianity in the Roman world. He just wrote several defenses for the claims of Christianity. And one of those defenses, uh, written in 150 AD, Justin describes what takes place in a kind of typical church service. Uh, There are several other descriptions we see early in church history of what uh, early church services look like, but they all pretty much look the same with just minor differences. 
And uh, these descriptions are fascinating. Uh, they're, they're, they're fascinating. Listen to how Justin Martyr describes a typical church gathering so early on in the history of the church. Justin Martyr writes, And on the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together in one place, and the memoirs of the apostles, that's the epistles, the, the letters of the apostles, or the writings of the prophets, that's the Old Testament, they're read as long as time permits, Then when the reader has ceased, the pastor verbally instructs and exhorts the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray. And as we said before, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought. And the pastor in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability. And the people assent, saying amen. And there's a distribution to each and a participation of that over which thanks has been given. And to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons. And they who are well-to-do and willing give what each thinks fit. And what is collected is deposited with the pastor who secures it to the orphans and widows and those who, through sickness or any other cause, are in want. And those who are in bonds and the strangers, strangers sojourning among us. And in a word, takes care of all who are in need. But Sunday is the church in which we hold our common assembly because it's the first day in which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world, and Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. Now, what takes place in Acts 2 that we just read uh, took place just a, a little over 100 years earlier than, what, than when Justin uh, Martyr wrote these words. So not much time had passed between these two writings, but a ton had changed in the Roman world, and a ton had changed in the church even. Uh, The number of Christians continually grew and grew and grew in that time. What started out as 120 Christians in Acts 1 and then uh, a little over 3,000 Christians in Acts 2 grew to to a little over 40,000 believers in 150 AD and then by 200 AD had become well over 200,000 believers. And somehow this happened, I I assume, uh, without any light shows or fog machines or Moroccan bands. didn't have any of that, I don't think. They may have, and we just don't have a record of it. But did you notice how simple and how similar Justin Martyr's description is to what we've been reading and seeing described here in Acts 2, 41 and 42? Just a simple devotion to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. But God used these means of grace, Jesus used these practices that he had ordained to continue to build his church and to be at work in his church to grow and mature and build his church. And he did so as his church took him at his word that he would do so through these means that he gave in his word. Now we're coming to the close of this sermon series. We've been looking at this simple and sacrificial devotion to this early spirit-filled church here, and I've been calling us to, to a similar, simple, sacrificial devotion. And I think for many of us, even those of us who have been Christians for some time, uh, we, we, we desire to know Christ, we desire to taste and see that he is good and to experience his beauty and his goodness more deeply in our lives. And, and, and I think for many of us, we've just never been told how. How do you... How do you experience the beauty and the goodness of Jesus? How do you receive from him? How do you meet with him? How do you get to know him and, and, and spend time with him? But what we've been seeing in this text and the numerous other texts that we've been looking at in this series is that God has given us in his word divinely ordained means of receiving all those things that we desire from him. He's given us his word and the preaching and teaching 
of his word. He's given us the fellowship of a local church family. He's given us baptism, the Lord's Supper. And this morning, we're going to close our time in the series with looking at the means of grace mentioned last in our text. He gives us the precious gift of prayer. He gives us prayer. And the big idea that we're looking at this morning is that the local church is called to be a people devoted to prayer together. The local church is called to be a people devoted to prayer together. And to unpack that, I want to spend some time considering this community that was so devoted to prayer and what motivated them and how they lived this out together. And then close with exhorting us to be a church devoted to prayer together. So look with me at number one, an example of a church devoted to prayer. Number two, their motivation for being a church devoted to prayer. Number three, the communal nature of their devotion to prayer. And four, an an exhortation to be a church devoted to prayer. Let's dig in. Now, one thing we can say for certain is that this church was devoted to prayer. And we can say that confidently because this actually isn't the only time or the last time that Luke mentions this uh, local church's devotion to prayer. In Acts 1, we see Jesus speaking with the, the disciples before his bodily ascent into heaven, and he's instructing them so that after uh, he ascends into heaven, that they don't move on to another city or do anything, but that they simply wait in Jerusalem for the sending of the Holy Spirit. And so that's exactly what they do. They, they stay in Jerusalem. They continue in Jerusalem for, for uh, 10 days until Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out, and they gather together in those 10 days often. And what do they do when they gather? You can flip back from, uh, from Acts 2 to Acts 1.14. Luke says that they, uh, I quote, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together. So Acts 1.14 says, so even before Pentecost, even before the Holy Spirit fell on them in power, there were people devoted to prayer. And then after Pentecost, this devotion continued. Now here in Acts 2.42, what we've been looking at, Luke states that this church was devoted to the prayers together. And then in the following chapters, he, he shares some stories of what uh, this, uh, that just giving us a small glimpse into what this devotion looked like. You can turn over to Acts 3.1 and see Luke writes that, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And so at this point, the, the, the church hadn't quite broken off from the prayer practices of the Jewish people, uh, meaning that every day, at least the apostles and probably others as well, uh, were gathering for the hours of prayer at the temple. Uh, they, they would go to the temple at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m. every single day, uh, morning, afternoon, and evening, in order to pray these traditional Jewish prayers like the Shema in, in Deuteronomy 6 and then, and then the, uh, the priestly b- blessing in Numbers 6. And they also had some long kind of additional uh, prayers that weren't necessarily in the Bible, but that were part of their tradition. These long, complicated prayers that had developed over time uh, in the Jewish people. And, and we can conclude probably from non-biblical uh, sources, from other non-biblical sources, that they were likely praying the Lord's Prayer together in these times as well for Matthew 6. And not only did they gather at the temple daily to pray, as if that didn't require enough time from them. But they also prayed in their own church assemblies. They, 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 we know that they gathered together often in the assembly halls surrounding the temple, like Solomon's portico, and they often gathered in their homes. And we see a description of, of, of that in Acts 4. Um, in Acts 4, you can turn to Acts 4, look at starting with verse 24. Uh, in Acts 4, the, the apostles Peter and John had just been arrested and released, and they, were, uh, they went to the church to tell the church about how they had been arrested and what the, the authorities told them and, and told them the whole story. And, and then, what does the church do? They pray together. They pray together. And listen to how Luke describes this prayer meeting, beginning with verse 
24 of chapter 4, he says, They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This was a community devoted to praying together. They, they prayed at the temple. They, they prayed in their assemblies. They prayed in their homes. They prayed in a disciplined and orderly and scheduled manner, but they also prayed spontaneously when certain needs came up or, or when they were scared of persecution. They prayed previously written prayers that were scheduled and biblical and historic, and they also prayed the Psalms. They, they, they prayed extemporaneously at times. When they had particular desires and needs. They prayed extemporaneously. They prayed and prayed and prayed, and we would do well to ask ourselves, what What drove them to be a church so devoted to prayer? What motivated this this sacrificial devotion to prayer, to being people that pray together? Now, I would argue that this is one of the things that made Christians so unique in the world at this time, and one of the things that continues to make us unique to this day. What what made this community so unique and so peculiar and so attractive and, and made this community so prayerful was that because of Jesus, they could talk with God in a new way. They could talk with God in a new way because of Jesus and his coming to live the life that they should have lived and die the death that they deserve to die and raising in power over sin and Satan and death. They could pray, they could talk to God in a new way. Don't you see what, what lit a fire under this community to pray and pray to pray is that they could talk to God with, with, con- with confidence. They could talk to God with confidence that God was giving, him, gi- giving them his listening ear, confidence that God would answer their prayers, confidence that they could talk with God as their father that they could talk with God knowing that his love for them and his favor in their life wasn't dependent upon them, wasn't dependent on their morality or their righteousness, but it was dependent upon the righteousness and goodness of Jesus, which was perfect and will never change, and that they were given this in Christ. They were given the righteousness of Jesus. They were covered in the righteousness of Jesus so that wherever they were, whatever they were asking of God, God could never say, no, you lack my righteousness, so I will not answer. They knew that Jesus had covered them in his righteousness and so that they could come to God with boldness and with confidence and with assurance. That's what made this community so unique and peculiar. They could talk with God as those who have been forgiven and covered in the righteousness, declared to be righteous in Christ. They could come to those welcomed into the presence of God as his loved children. That indeed, he, he welcomed them into his presence, and he, and he lavished them in love, and he welcomed them with open arms into his presence, more eager to hear their prayers than they were even to pray them. And this is still true to this day. This is still true. We can pray with confidence 
and assurance and peace. Turn over to, to Hebrews 10, starting with verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19, the author, the letter of Hebrews, up to this point, he's been uh, just blasting this church with the good news of God's free and complete forgiveness in Christ Jesus. He just got done telling them that they are forgiven in Christ, that they are declared righteous in Christ, they are redeemed in Christ. And, And then he comes to verse 19 and he says, therefore, because all of that is true, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there's a lot of temple imagery here. And so you need to understand that there was these, in, in the old covenant, they had a temple. And in this temple, there were multiple courts that some people were allowed into and some others weren't allowed into. And so there was a large outer courtyard where everyone, even Gentiles, that is non-Jews, were allowed to gather in this, this outer court. And then there was a court further in that all Jews were allowed into, even, even women. Uh, women were allowed in this, in this uh, court just a little further in. Uh, and then there was a, one special courtyard even further in that only Jewish men were allowed to go into. They were the, the only ones allowed to enter. And then one further in were only priests could go. And, and they would go here so that they could offer sacrifices. And inside the temple building, in this further in courtyard, there's a place called the, the holy place. And, and only priests were allowed to, to go into the holy place. They did so to burn incense. And, 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 and then inside of this holy place, there was a veil. And on the inside of this veil, there was what they called the holiest of holies, or the holiest place. This is the holy of holies, the holiest place of all. And this part of the temple that only one man could go into, and it was the high priest, and he could only go in once a year to offer up uh, a, a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. He would only go in once a year for that. And, and, and the reason that it was treated so sacredly, so reverently, and so carefully was because this is where God himself dwelled. This is, this is where God's presence was. And so what we just saw from the author of the letter to, to the Hebrews is that everyone who is in Christ, man, woman, child, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, we are welcomed into the presence of God with full assurance and we're able to come with great confidence. Christian, listen, listen, you're welcomed into the presence of this holy and transcendent and mighty and just and perfect God. You're you're welcomed into his presence with great assurance and great confidence. And you can rest in the reality that you are heard by this God, that you are heard by him. You're heard by the God of the universe. You're heard by him. We can pray taking hold of this promise. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything, According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So I I don't know about you, 
One of my biggest frustrations is in life is when I feel like I'm not being heard. I feel like I'm not being listened to. That I'm not uh, being listened to as, as a pastor, as a parent, as a citizen. As a pastor, sometimes I wonder if any of this stuff is kind of connecting with you. If you're, if you're getting it, you know, and I, I feel frustrated sometimes. And maybe it's not connecting. And maybe it's not clicking. As a parent, sometimes I wonder if my children are hard of hearing. Some of you parents might know what I'm talking about. As a citizen, don't even get me started. Sometimes I just feel like no one is listening to me. Sometimes I feel like I, I, I'm never actually truly heard. And, and, and maybe you can identify with that. But listen, because of Jesus Christ, you are brought into the presence of the God of the universe. You are brought into the presence of the God of the universe, the one who knows everything and who is sovereign over everything. And, and you have his ear. He, he hears you. He listens to you. And, and you're never misunderstood by him. He, he always understands exactly what you're asking, exactly what you're saying, exactly where you are. He, he never misunderstands you. You have his ear, and he answers every prayer of ours in the exact way that we would want him to if we knew exactly what he knew. Because of Jesus Christ, we can pray to God, the God of the universe, in a new way. We can pray with assurance, with confidence, with peace, with rest, knowing that he hears, that he listens, that he understands you. But not only that, because of Jesus, they not only prayed with the knowledge of being reconciled to God, but to one another. And this has been somewhat of a theme throughout this series. And notice that this prayer life was so communal. Uh, Luke says that they devoted themselves to the prayers. They devoted themselves to the prayers. And so he's referring to something specific here, not just prayer in general, but something specific here. Uh, it's not just prayer in general, but specific Prayers. These were corporate prayers that they were praying together. They include some of those things we talked about earlier, prayers from the Old Testament, traditional Jewish prayers, the Lord's Prayer, the Psalms. They, they prayed ext uh, extemporaneously too. But the emphasis here is that the practice of prayer was communal for them. Uh, the, the Latin translation of, of verse 42 here actually says something to the effect of they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship by or through the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, in other words, those translators understood the text to be saying uh, that, that the way they devoted themselves to the fellowship was by being devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers together. Uh, their, their life together, their fellowship together was centered around their corporate observance of this meal and of their communal life of prayer together. Uh, that's not to say that private prayer wasn't important. I'm sure, I'm certain that it was. But as we've said several times now, these, these Christians fundamentally and primarily saw themselves as part of a people, part of a church. And, and not just the church in the universal sense of, of the church, but they, they were devoted to a local body of believers wherein they were accountable and that they shared life with. They, they, the people that they knew and that they were known by. They had reoriented life around uh, Christ and around his people and around these corporate practices, these corporate means of grace together, including corporate prayer. And this is very clearly seen in the various texts that we just read earlier, Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 3, and 4. They prayed together and they prayed together often. They didn't see prayer as merely a private spiritual discipline 
but, but as a corporate means of grace as well. And I'm afraid that we often, when we talk about prayer, that we emphasize the former over the latter. When we talk about the importance of prayer, we automatically see it as a, as a private activity. And it should be something you do in private. It absolutely should be, do, it should be something that you do often in private. That's clear from Scripture. But in all reality, a private prayer life will be next to impossible to sustain if you're not regularly engaging in prayer with God's people. And this observation from Pastor Gene Getz is particularly perceptive. This is, this is what Pastor Gene Getz says. He writes, The hallmark of Western civilization has been rugged individualism. Because of our philosophy of life, we're used to the personal pronouns of I and me and my. We have not been taught to think in terms of we or our or us. Consequently, we individualize many references to corporate experience in the New Testament. Thus, often emphasizing personal prayer, personal Bible study, personal evangelism, and personal Christian maturity and growth. The facts are that more is said in the book of Acts and in the, in the epistles about corporate prayer, corporate learning of biblical truth, corporate evangelism, and corporate, corporate Christian maturity and growth than about the personal aspects of these Christian disciplines. Don't misunderstand, both are intrinsically related, but the personal dimensions of Christianity are difficult to maintain and practice consistently unless they grow out of a corporate experience on a regular basis. The emphasis in the scriptural record is clearly on corporate prayer being the context that personal prayer becomes meaningful. And so this local church in Jerusalem in 33 AD, because they had great confidence and assurance that God heard them and that they were welcome into his presence, and because they belonged to God and to his people now, they devoted themselves to the prayers together. They devoted themselves to praying together. They lifted up their voices in prayer to praise and to confess their sin to God. They lifted up their voices in prayer together to thank their heavenly Father for his grace. They lifted up their voices and and boldly and confidently made their requests known to God with confidence that in Christ he hears and that he answers. And I simply want to exhort us to be a church that does the same. We have the same Savior, the same God and Father, the same position of being in Christ, covered in his righteousness, adopted into the family. And so we have the same assurance. And in light of that beautiful reality, Veritas, let let me encourage you and exhort you to be a church devoted to prayer together, to be a church devoted to prayer, be a church devoted to praying together. Be a church that prays and prays and prays like this church in Acts 2 prayed and prayed and prayed. Be a church that praises and confesses and gives thanks to God and that makes your requests known to God. And do so with confidence, with assurance, with with peace, with boldness. There are several settings that we have opportunity to do this in on a regular basis. First, we can be devoted to the prayers like this church in Acts 2 was in our Sunday gatherings. We, we, we pray a lot uh, on Sunday mornings together. Some prayers are led by a leader like myself or Brian. Some are put on the screen for everyone to say together so that we can all pray the same words in unison and agreement together. Uh, we start with a call to worship and a prayer. We, we sing a song. We, we, uh, 
we uh, pray a prayer of confession, we pray uh, prayers of thanksgiving and, and intercession, supplication, making our requests known to God, we pray prayers of lament, we pray asking God to help us understand his word, we pray uh, before and after communion, we pray uh, prayers of, of intercession, we uh, confess the faith in the Apostles' Creed, we pray prayers of commitment and benediction, we pray a lot, and, and then all, in addition to that, all the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings are, in essence, prayers. Ephesians 5.19 tells us to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks to God, praising Him together. Praying and singing to God and, and to one another is an enormously important life of our uh, part of our life together as followers of Jesus. And we do all of these things in some form every single Sunday when we gather together. But now listen, being devoted to the prayers just by simply showing up on Sunday morning, is, it, it, it doesn't work that way. We, don't, we, don't sim- we aren't devoted to the prayers by simply showing up and being present. Uh, and, and so here's what I want to encourage you in. Don't be passive when we pray on Sunday mornings. When we pray, when we take time to pray, don't, don't use that as an opportunity to think about what you're going to eat after church. Don't use that as an opportunity to, to check your phone. Don't use that as an opportunity to, to tell uh, your, your, your spouse or your children or your, your friends something that's sitting next to you. Don't, don't use those as an opportunity to, to check out. Use those as an opportunity to engage, to join uh, God's people in prayer together. Be devoted to prayer by actually praying. I know that's radical. A Sunday morning is, is not a time, though, for us to be passive uh, we will not benefit by what takes place here on Sunday mornings together if we come as a consumer or, or, or customers of religious goods. Come in a posture ready to receive from God, ready to edify your neighbor with your voice and with your, your singing and with your prayers. When a leader is praying, uh, pray with them by listening attentively to what they're saying and, and agreeing with them and saying amen when you, when you agree with them in prayer. When, when, when we have corporate prayers and songs, lift up your voice and pray with confidence and with boldness. In other words, be devoted to prayer by actually praying when we're gathered together on, on Sunday mornings here. Literally work up a sweat singing and praying to the God who saved you and purchased your forgiveness. Next, we can be devoted to the prayers by praying at frontline prayer meetings. Uh, we gather every Tuesday morning uh, to pray through a psalm together, to make our requests known to God together. Uh, these men, uh, the men gather on the first and third uh, Tuesday mornings of every month. The, the ladies gather on the second and fourth Tuesdays of every month. We gather at 6.30 a.m. Uh, in the morning. And, and up to this point, very few of us have come. And, and that's okay. You know, I, I don't want to make you feel guilty for not coming out on 630, at 6.30 in the morning. That's early, and it's, and it's hard. But as Charles Spurgeon once said, Big Chuck, he said, Brethren, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general until the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. In other words, if you want to see our church be fruitful, if you want to see God move powerfully in our midst, powerfully in us and through us, then praying with us on, on Tuesday mornings is a wonderful opportunity to agree in prayer together and to bring those requests to God. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to agree in prayer together. You know, I, I can't tell you how often I see Christians nowadays uh, 
complaining and murmuring and accusing the church for, for a lacking the fruitfulness that we see when we read about the church in the book of Acts. This, I hear this so often, this, this murmuring, this complaining, saying stupid things about the church and the ineffectiveness of the church today. We, we complain and accuse and murmur about this. But all I hear is an abundance of complaining, and I hear so little prayer, so little prayer. Another place we can devote ourselves to prayer is in our city groups. We gather in these every single week. We eat and we discuss the scriptures and, and the, the, the sermon text um, and the sermon from the previous Sunday. And then also we can and should pray together when we gather in city groups. Uh, take some time to, to hear one another's requests and needs and, and reasons for giving thanks and then offer those things up to the Lord as a group. Uh, you can do this as an entire group together. Last week, our group got together and there was like, Everyone showed up, and so it was like so just a massive amount of people. So if we did that, we'd be there till three in the morning. So we uh, broke up into groups of three or four and simply just spent time uh, sharing needs and requests and, and reasons for thanksgivings and, and, and praising God and, and, and praying to God uh, on one another's behalf and, and praying for one another uh, in that setting. And, and, and I should say, praying for one another in a setting like that is so extremely important for us as a church. Praying for one another like that is one of the best ways that we can grow in love and appreciation and affection and care for one another. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to grow in unity and in care for one another. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. So if if you're having issues with with people in the church, I I suggest praying for them, and things will likely uh, become much better. And even say that we could be preemptive here. Uh, We could be preemptive. You will avoid hating a brother or sister that that you have spent time with in pouring out your heart uh, to to God in prayer together. You will avoid that type of uh, inclination toward one another. And so hear me, be a church devoted to prayer together. Pray at gatherings, pray at prayer meetings, pray in city groups together, and pray uh, just whenever you get together. At other times, be a people that devote yourselves to prayer together. If we long for more of God's blessing, if we long to see him add to our number those who are being saved, if we long to see our friends and family and coworkers and neighbors set free from sin and addiction and hopelessness, if we long to see more of God's grace in our lives, if we long for him to pour out his blessing on us as a church, if we long for unity and affection and care for one another, then we must be a people who pray together in Christ God will most assuredly not reject any of those prayers, any of those things we offer up, any of those requests that we make known to him. We can be confident that he will hear, that he will answer, and that he will act on our behalf. Listen, guys, as as we close not only this sermon, but this entire series, may we be a people who are resolved in our devotion to prayer together. And not just prayer together, but, but also resolved in our devotion to the scriptures, the apostles' teaching, and our devotion to the fellowship and to baptism and the Lord's Supper as well. These are the means of grace. These are the means through which Jesus pours heaven into our hearts. These are the means through which he has promised to be at work in and through his church. These are the means through which he grows and builds and sanctifies and beautifies his people. These are the means through which we meet with him. 
Jesus has, listen, he's told us where to meet with him. He's not playing catch me if you can. He's, 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 not, he's not hiding from us. He's, he's made himself known to us in these things, and he's told us to meet him in these practices, in these means of grace. He's told us where to meet with him because he, he wants us to come to him. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to pursue meeting with him. He wants us to draw near to him and to draw strength from him so that we can live faithfully for him. When he gives his, his people this invitation in, in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, for, for all who are weary and heavy laden to come to him and to take his yoke upon them, and when he gives that promise uh, that he will give us rest, he wasn't being hypothetical. And he wasn't being, he wasn't being coy. He, he really means for us to come to him. He wasn't being a, a come on. And, he, and, he, and he's been, he hasn't been secretive about how it is we're to come. We come to him by coming together around his word. We come to him to, to meet with him by, by meeting in the fellowship of his people. We meet with him in the bread and the wine. We meet with him in prayer. He has made himself known to us and accessible to us in these specific ways of his own wise choosing. These are the appointed avenues for us meeting with him as his people. And so if we desire to know him and to be known by him, if we desire rest for our souls, we know where to look. Even if you didn't know before this sermon series, now in this sermon series, we know where to look, where to seek for him, where to find him, where to meet with him. And so the question for us is, do we desire him? Do, do we desire, do we long for him? Do we, do we want him? I love how the psalmist provides example and heart language for this. Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 143, verse 6. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Psalm 42, 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Do we thirst? Do you, do you thirst for God? Does your soul pant for him? Does, does your soul thirst to know him more and to be known by him? If so, here are deep wells from which you can drink. You can, you can, these are deep wells from which you can drink and drink and drink. And as you drink, you can be satisfied in this infinitely kind and gracious God. As you drink, you can find rest for your souls. He's standing with arms wide open, welcoming us into his presence, telling us where to meet with him, and inviting us to come and to find rest for our souls. Come and be satisfied. Come and have rest. Come and meet with him in his word and his people in the ordinances and in prayer. We, we know where to meet with him. He's not playing catch me if you can. He's invited us to meet with him in these means of grace. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you That because of your word, we don't have to wonder who you are. We don't have to wonder what you've done in history. We don't have to wonder 
how we can know you now. Because you have revealed all of those things to us with clarity. You have revealed all those things to us with certainty. You have revealed all those things to us authoritatively in your perfect and precious word. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us now to not be a people who just hear the word, but help us to be a people who hear the word with faith that produces obedience to the word. Would you help us to be a people, Lord, who in our thirsting after you, in our, in our souls panting after you, would you help us to be a people who come and drink deeply of the wells that you have provided? Would you help us to drink deeply from your word, to drink deeply from the fellowship of saints, to drink deeply from the ordinances, to drink deeply from prayer, knowing that it's you that we meet with that it's your son that we meet with, that it's your spirit who is poured out on us through those divinely ordained means of grace. And so, Father, we, we ask for help now as we uh, devote ourselves to the breaking of bread and continue to devote ourselves to prayer this morning. And would you help us to receive from you with faith, Lord, to, to offer our hearts up to you promptly and sincerely offer ourselves up to you as living sacrifices. Lord, and, and we just rest in the reality that you are amongst us through your Son and by your Spirit, that you are in our midst and that you hear us, that you will answer us and that we have full assurance of this in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to pour ourselves out in thanks. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.